You are listening to a podcast from West Hill United Church located in Scarborough, Ontario, Canada. These podcasts are made possible by the generous support of our listeners, volunteers, and members of our community. To donate, go to our website, www.westhill.net, and click on the Canada Helps button, or go to www.westhill.net forward slash donate. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Am I on? Am I on? Okay. Uh, We'll get going as soon as uh, Greta resolves her wardrobe issues. (laughs) Okay. I think I think that is a signal to sit down and put your cards away. Pardon? We wish to acknowledge that we are on the traditional territory of the Mississaugas of the new credit First Nations lands which lands were previously occupied by the Seneca and Huron-Wendat First Nations. We thank our Indigenous friends for holding the land, for looking after it, and hope that we can continue to preserve it in the same way. Grounded, Guided, Growing. A Time for Centering. From Scott Kearns. By the way, that first hymn and first song, when I raised the key and you all thought that was rather high, that's still two semitones lower than the hymn book. So it was merciful. But I got a glare from, from my song leader here. That was high, she said. wasn't high enough for, for the hymn book. Anyway, I wanted to, I wanted to very quickly say, uh, next slide there, uh, Peter. There. When, when we say that phrase, grounded in life, that already tells me who I am. I'm part of a web of aliveness. It tells me that I belong to it. It tells me that I have an impact on it and it has an impact on me. Already I know all that just from that one phrase. The choice comes in the next one. What will guide me in that reality? What? What? And I I choose the word love. We choose the word love. Compassion, justice, kindness, integrity, thoughtfulness, empathy. Uh, But the how is that next one. And every day at my workplace, a new issue comes up. What's the wise thing to do? We're all wanting to do the, the, the good thing, but how do we do it? And that's what we share here. And every message, every even songs, bring that up. How do we live wisely in our choices to love in this web of life? Before I begin the reading, I'm sitting here. I notice that a lot of you are have the sun in your eyes. Do you want to take a moment and sit either on that side or with your back to the sun? They're good. Look oh, are you good? Okay, that's I'm fine. loving it. <laughs> I just look at the face at expressions. 
<laughs> but in the eyes, I see another thing. Uh, for, uh, Rebecca Solnit, and she's, she's an editor of Harper's. She has, she's a journalist of some respect. She's written The Far Away Nearby. Uh, the first quotation, we think we tell stories, but often stories tell us. Tell us to love or hate, to see or be seen. Often, too often, stories saddle us, hide us, whip us onward, tell us what to do, and we do it without questioning. The task of learning to be free requires learning to hear them, to question them, to pause and hear silence, to name them, and then become a storyteller. The second reading is from uh, R.J. Palacio, an American author and graphic designer, born in, uh, to a family of immigrants from Colombia. She's the author of several novels for children, including the best-selling Wonder, which was adapted into a film version in 2017. And I found this interesting. Following NBC's tweet regarding the impeachment hearings in the U.S., analysis, the first two witnesses called Wednesday testified to Trump's scheme but lacked the pizzazz to necessary to capture public attention. Palacio tweeted, I don't curse on Twitter very often, but are you forking kidding me? Pizzazz, you have a criminal, criminal president being advised by a noted white supremacist, enabled by gutless Republicans, and you question the pizzazz? Fork your pizzazz, NBC News, and keep up with the substance. And her, the reading? Yeah. The things we do outlast our mortality. The things we do are like monuments that bi people build to honor heroes after they've died. They're like the pyramids that the Egyptians built to honor their pharaohs. Only, instead of being made of stone, they're made out of the memories of people have of you. From her novel, Wonder. And the last novel is by Charlotte Erickson. Uh, she's an author, a songwriter, a dreamer, and a wanderer. Is currently living somewhere on the road in Europe. She has published four books of prose and poetry, telling stories of growing up, searching for her home, life on the road, and learning how to bloom in solitary places. I get so sad and filled with regret some days, but I'm learning to breathe deep through it and keep walking. I'm learning to make things nice for myself, slowly building myself a home with things I like, colors that calm me down, a plan to follow when things get dark, a few people I'm, I try to treat right. I don't sometimes, but it's my intent to do so. I'm learning. I'm learning to make things nice for myself. I'm learning to save myself. To comfort my own heart when I wake up sad. To find small bits of friendship in a crowd full of strangers. To find a small amount of joy in a blue sky, in a trip somewhere, not so far away, a long walk, an early morning in December, or a handwritten letter to an old friend simply saying, I thought of you, I hope you're well. No one will come and save you. No one will come riding on a white horse and take all your worries away. You have to save yourself, little by little, day by day. Build yourself a home. Take care of your body. Find something to work on. Something that makes you excited. Something you want to learn. Get yourself some books and learn them by heart. Get to know the author, where he grew up, what books he read himself. Take yourself out to dinner. Dress up for no one but you and simply feel nice. It's a lovely feeling to feel pretty. You don't need anyone to confirm it. 
offered his wisdom for the journey. Focused Moments from Greta Bosper. The focus moment today is by Kamand Kujuri, an author who was born in Tehran, raised in Dubai and Toronto, and resides now in Wales, uh, where she is uh, working on her doctorate in creative writing. Um, she wrote a historical novel for her master's program in London and was shortlisted for the Peters, Fraser, and Dunlop Literary Awards. So, um, rather than bringing something of my own, I came across this this, uh, this week and felt that it was perfect for where we are going today. They want us to be afraid. They want us to be afraid of leaving our homes. They want us to barricade our doors and hide our children. Their aim is to make us fear life itself. They want us to practice aggression and perfect antagonism. Their aim is to divide us all. They want us to be inhuman. They want us to throw out our kindness. They want us to bury our love and burn our hope. Their aim is to take all our light. They think their bricked walls will separate us. They think their damned bombs will defeat us. They are so ignorant. They don't understand that my soul and your soul are old friends. They are so ignorant they don't understand that when they cut you, I bleed. They are so ignorant they don't understand that we will never be afraid. We will never hate And we will never be silent, for life is ours. These are not treats. Uh, they're parts of what's going to happen, and I want you to pass the bowl and, or basket and take one of them, but they're folded, so you're really not supposed to look at them quite yet. So I'm going to trust that you're not going to do that. So I'm going to pass them out to four different places and have you uh, share them. Thank you. So just pass them along. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you. So I'll just get them going by. Get everybody. Just take one. Don't read it and pass it around. I will. Uh, you can read it. We'll read it later. Just gonna... 
So, um, while you're passing that, I'm just going to run over what happened last week on Sunday. Um, Those of you who are here heard Brian Kelly speak about uh, the climate disaster that we're experiencing. But he brought it home because uh, Brian was the, the former sustainability director at the region of Durham and was and oversaw four different reports uh, related to climate over a period of many years, uh, which brought forward uh, 42, and that's actually the meaning of life, right? For those of you who are Douglas Adams fans, 42 is the meaning of life. So he, they ended up with 42 recommendations that would lead the region to be able to uh, mitigate the effects of climate maybe not in its own little area, but would help to uh, get the region doing everything that it possibly could to make the world more sustainable, because frankly, we all need to do our part. Uh, Of those 42 recommendations, which were uh, prize-winning, award-winning, not prize-winning, award-winning, this last, uh, his most recent sustainability report, which Durham Region accepted, uh, was an award-winning report Um, and has been touted all over the country and internationally for its uh, incredible mandate. Uh, But of those 42 recommendations, only two uh, have ever been implemented over the years since they came into being. And so Brian resigned uh, last spring in protest um, uh, because of that happening. I was present at the Fridays for Future demonstration at the, the region's headquarters. Scott and I live in Durham Region. And I was up at that protest. Uh, um, Deb was with me as well. And following that, we went into a regional council meeting where the new sustainability uh, director uh, was making his first uh, presence known. He'd been there for a week, and he was meeting the regional council for the first time. Um, it was, I wondered uh, if he had... Um, been made aware of the fact that the reports, which he seemed to be excited about, had had such little effect and impact on the region and on the municipalities within the region. Uh, so it will be interesting to watch and see how he moves forward with that. Um, Fridays for Future uh, gatherings are still happening in many, many communities. Uh, they happen every week. They're um, organized by high school students predominantly. Uh, please look up what's happening in your community if you'd like to participate in one of those. Um, I've gone up, uh, I went up two weeks in a row um, after, subsequent to the first one I was at, uh, and there was never anybody there, and I was heartbroken. But Brian told me last week they'd moved the time, so now I can get to the right one, get there at the right time on Friday afternoons. Um, But Brian's presentation, which talked about what the temperature rise in Durham was going to be, what the uh, different uh, environmental changes were going to be, it was uh, wetter, warmer, and wilder um, around the globe. And places that are already wet were going to get even wetter. And places that saw wild weather, like typhoons and tornadoes and hurricanes, are going to see more of that. That our chances of experiencing a tornado in Durham region, which is, oh, just a few feet away from here, um, are going up 7%, uh, which is an incredible percent for for this area. We don't think about this area as uh, being prone to tornadoes or hurricanes, uh, but how many of you were shocked at the wind that took uh, that came through a, f- a couple of weeks ago? It was very powerful. We don't normally see that kind of wind here. Yesterday, um, because of that wind, 
not as a direct result of it, but because of the implications of what would happen should a 30-foot spruce in my backyard be laden with snow when that wind came. Um, that tree had to be removed yesterday, which was... Cutting down trees is one of, like it's one of the things that makes me the most sorrowful uh, because they are this, this stand of life and truth and permanence. And so removing it was um, deeply sad. But I had two excellent friends with me uh, on Friday evening and we lit candles around the bottom of the tree and we made a little... Um, wreaths out of some of the branches that uh, helped to heal my heart as that as I prepared for the disappearance of that tree under which so much healing and and health has been nurtured over the course of the many years that we've lived there um, and this morning as I was uh, doing my meditation I realized that I could see the sun coming up uh, in a place I've never seen it before so I'm looking for ways to find beauty in the midst of that and today I want us to find beauty in the midst of some of the climate uh, challenges that we've had laid upon us. Uh, it's, it's, uh, there are, are news items that we just don't want to hear. There are uh, programs that we don't want to watch. There are um, items that we see in newspapers and magazines and whole magazines that we see uh, in our bookstores and, and drugstores and magazine shops. And we don't, we don't even want to look at the cover. The Economist, I think I may have mentioned a few weeks ago, The Economist, uh, a couple of months ago, their cover uh, went from this sort of uh, blue, kind of like what Ruth has on or, or uh, Heather, brilliant blue stripes, different colored stripes, and then you saw a little pinky one, and then and then it got and at the far um, right of the cover, uh, it was deep red, and those were the global temperatures uh, taken over the course of the past 50 years from from you know somewhat you know lovely to uh, dreadful. I don't know if it was 50 years or longer than that. I'm sorry, I can't remember. Um, but it was a powerful image, like just this color streak, and uh, it became clear. I did look for that magazine. I only saw it online. I looked for that magazine and couldn't find it in print uh, in any of the stores that I frequent, which was a little odd. Maybe people had picked it up because they liked the color. Um, but we, we tend to want to protect ourselves from the kind of information that is going to be so hard for us to carry, that's going to make us raw in places uh, of our lives. And, and, and to have heard first Michael Dowd in June and then Brian Kelly last week, what we can do uh, to soothe ourselves. Last week, uh, one of the quotes was by Audre Lorde, who was talking about self-care. And uh, she, she says, self-care isn't self-indulgence. Uh, she said something else about it. And then she goes, self-care is political warfare. Because when we are well, we get to engage. When we are strong, we can speak our truth. When we have the courage, we can engage our elected officials and, and challenge them to make a difference. We're not just going to go along, go along. But we're going to do things to keep us well enough that we can engage and make all the difference that we can make. So the readings today uh, were chosen, as they always are, based on one of the uh, passages that other congregations will be reading in their services a year from this Sunday. And those passages uh, were passages that talked about um, the leadership of God 
over the Israelite people and taking them into territory that was not their own and giving it over to them. Triumphant stories, stories where the Israeli army was going to go down and just take them over, where Deborah, who was a judge uh, and the leader of one community, had a, a message from God to say, you know, come chat with me because I've got this, I got this message. You guys are going to clean up, right? It's a powerful message that is reiterated throughout the Hebrew Scriptures and through the Psalms, and the message is that this particular people will triumph. And so I wrote at the at the top of my page that I have for making up the services, I have, you know, like the theme that I'm going to pull out of that. And the first thing that I wrote down was, how long are we going to keep killing ourselves? I thought you'd be really interested in having a conversation about that today. Um, And then I crossed it out and came up with something a little more palatable. But really it was, how long, how long are we going to think that we get what we want and other people don't get what they want because we get to trample them? How long are we going to let our religious systems do that? How long are we going to let our own personal privileges do that? How long are we going to just... Think only about the generation that happens to be on the planet at this point in time and not one that is yet to be born. How long are we going to do those things? And so that's really where I went. And I chose the readings that Elaine shared with you to help bring some of that into perspective. Rebecca Solnit is an author I have shared uh, with you on many occasions, particularly her, uh, her book, um, A Paradise Built in Hell, which I find is a profound reflection on human nature. Rebecca starts with the um, San Francisco fire in 1906, and she ends up with Katrina in 2006. And in those hundred years, she looks at a number of different uh, disasters, and she explores what actually happened when disaster struck. And what she found uh, was that when disaster struck, all the things that separate us as human beings, all our, our wealth, our, where we live, um, who we think that we are, all our prejudices fall away. And we see one another as people who can work together and make things better. An egalitarian society arises in times of tragedy and disaster that is only ever uh, closed up when um, those, the elite start to panic. And the elite start to panic every time there's a disaster. Because this, you know, communitarian approach starts taking place where people who were um, wealthy are sitting behind open fires helping make food to hand out to everybody. And people who are nobodies uh, sit right beside them and help them figure out how to put the recipe together so that they can make it go further. So you have the very wealthy, the extremely wealthy, right alongside those that had nothing to begin with, and they collaborate with each other. And of course, if people got wind of how that could happen and how happy everyone was in doing that, that's another thing that happens in disasters, People tend to grow in their sense of well-being, their enjoyment of other people. There's bonding that takes place that doesn't uh, under normal circumstances. Some of you will remember that several years ago, we spent two years on the second Sunday of each, each month walking around this block and the neighboring block. We had invited every home 
to uh, join us in that walk, let them know when we were doing it, uh, dropped flyers off so that they would know, and we walked for two years. No one joined us in those two years. Not a single person came out of their houses to join us. Uh, If there was a disaster on the street, if, you know, the, the... Hydrants erupted, and there was nothing but a skating rink down the street, and people weren't able to get out to get food. Does anyone remember when the power outage a couple of winters ago over Christmas? How many people engaged with their community in ways they hadn't done before, right? Everybody gets out in the middle of a disaster. If We wouldn't have had to drop flyers if there had been a disaster that got people out to go walking with us. We, they would have just come because, you know, let's go for a walk, right? Um, speaking of disasters, the parking lot, well, you now know where the parking lot is instead of guessing where the holes are. It's not particularly well salted today. So if anyone needs support going out, please ask for it. Um, don't slip and fall and end up having to replace some significant joint in your body. We would like that not to happen. Um, that's just inside, which has now got me totally lost. But anyway, but Solnit's reading for today was really, she's, it was in a completely different book, and she writes on an incredible breadth of topics and is so worth reading. But this book, uh, Far Away Places Nearby, um, in that, the, the reading, she's talking about the stories that are inside us, and we all have stories inside us. There are stories from our family of origin, There are stories from our place of birth. There are stories in our choice of profession and how we choose to live our adult lives. There are stories uh, in our communities. There are stories in our nations. And these are all embedded in us in one way or another. Um, You know, and we carry them around with us. And most of us uh, either don't know them or won't acknowledge them And most of us rarely share them, particularly those familial ones, you know, the ones that have come down through the generations uh, that tell you who you are um, by when you were born in the family or whether or not your adults, your, your older sibling had, you know, needs that outweighed yours or whether or not a sibling died in, at a young age or if parents died or divorced or anything. They're written into us. We're given a slate of DNA, but that DNA is added to even during gestation, and we become uh, people that have these characteristics and quirks and, and craziness. And our, where we live and how we interact with our communities, how far we drive to go get groceries, all of these things, you know, they embed themselves in us and, and become the norm of who we are. The norm of who we are. If we were all Norm Russells, we'd be fantastic people uh, who do nothing but lend their hands regularly. But those stories, they have an impact on the people around us. Because we're living, we're just being us, right? But the people around us are interacting with those stories all the time. We carry them around, but they have to engage them, right? We force them to engage them by being who we are. We rarely tell them what they are so that they have any forewarning. Um, And sometimes, if we're in an excellent uh, relationship, the person we're in relationship with will do this with a mirror and hold it up in front of you, and suddenly it's like, That is not me. 
Oh, yes, that's you. No, it is not you. Oh, yes, it is. And over the course of years, we can learn things, right? We learn things about ourselves, and we come to understand that there are different ways that things are done, that we can come up with a new response, right, instead of the same one we've kicked out every single time we've had to respond to that particular situation. We deepen our understanding of ourselves so that we can deepen our relationships with others. So those stories and and how we live them out and how we acknowledge them and shift and change them is an important part of what our future will look like. The reading by Palacio um, talks about our legacies, that how we are, you know, how we live our lives right now are the pyramids that are built after us uh, to to memorialize ourselves because those pyramids are in the hearts of people that we know and love. And they have their ideas about who we are, but they're also in the hearts of those who can't stand us, right? Um, And those pyramids may be different from one person to another based on um, how we have interacted with them. The question that we want to ask is, what do we want those pyramids to look like? What do we want that heroic statue to be like? And someone's telling our story after we're gone. What is the legacy we want to leave? And how can we prepare to leave that legacy instead of just as we're dying, you know, we get a diagnosis or we find ourselves in the hospital. Um, we think, oh, okay, I really want to be this person. Um, and so I need, to, I need to donate money to that right now and that will make me that person. And it's too late. We need to be the legacy that we want to leave from this day forward. Uh, always paying attention to who we are and how we are living in the world in order that we can do that properly. So some of the stories um, I wanted to perhaps put out there in as general terms as I can are, um, one, okay, I'm gonna, I, I can have this because I deserve it. How many people think that when you're buying something? You think, I deserve this. Not many of us. But we're doing it because we think we deserve it, aren't we? Otherwise, we wouldn't buy it if we didn't think we deserved it. We live in a socioeconomic uh, niche that allows us to think, okay, I need a new one of those, and we'll get rid of the old one, and we'll bring the new one in, uh, because we think we deserve it. But every single time we make that transaction which demonstrates that we think we deserve it, we neglect to think about those others who cannot do that and why they don't deserve it. Why don't they deserve it? Because, why? Because their parents weren't educated and didn't, get, didn't bring in enough money to take, send them to school so that they could have a good career and make some more money. And, you know, what is, why is it they don't deserve it? And are those valid reasons why I deserve it and they don't? And if we started thinking that way, would we maybe sometimes slow things down and think, well, maybe if, if they don't deserve it or they can't get it, then maybe I don't need it either. So I don't need to replace my perfectly good working fridge um, because I wanted one with lights or a panel on the door that I can check my email on. Um, so I just don't buy that. Right? I think, my, I think my way through to new understanding. If any of you are checking your email on your fridge, I apologize. Um, <laughs> but if you'd like to trade fridges, I'm good. Right? <laughs> Talk to me. Um, my neighbors are not like me. My neighbors aren't like me. That's another one. Our neighbors, uh, you know, when Scott and I uh, moved from a house uh, that we owned uh, many years ago, and... Um, we didn't know any of our neighbors. 
the guy next door was not really very nice, and we didn't work to meet anybody else because they clearly they weren't really people we wanted to have relationships with. Fact of the matter was, we'd never said hello to any of them. We lived in a subdivision where people drove into their garages, closed the garage door, went into the house. I, I, I like to think of Martians watching us and trying to figure out where we feed. Well, we feed at these pumps. Uh, we take out a tube out of ourselves and put it in the pump, or out of them and put it in us, and, and that's our food. And then we move around on these black, curvy things, and then we our little nest is generally has asphalt shingles or something, and that's where we live, right? That we are our vehicles. So for us to think, our neighbors, they don't like us. We don't like them. We don't even know them. Like We have no idea who they are. And so we have to take that story that our neighbors aren't like us, Um, We have to take that story and examine it and maybe get to know the neighbors and find out that, oh my goodness, they want the same things for their children as we do. They eat the same kinds of foods that we do, or they're eager to learn what kind of foods we eat. And the stuff that they eat, if they tone down the spices a bit for Scott, um, we'll be happy to share a meal, right? That we can snip um, uh, cuttings from our bushes and root them for them and, you know, help make the neighborhood more beautiful. Um, but as long as we think they aren't like us, we don't have to commit to engage in a more um, engaged way. So that's part of that story. And um, another one that's, that I think is important is I can't... Uh, people who are celiac are just... How on earth am I supposed to feed them? That no dairy products... No gluten. Like, how am I supposed to feed a celiac person, right? So it's better to just allow them to bring their own food or not get the ice cream when we go for ice cream. You know, they could just wait or, I don't know, maybe have a chocolate bar. Um, But actually, (laughs) we eat the food that celiacs eat all the time. And it's pretty straightforward. So we could perhaps provide foods that celiacs um, can eat. So we here we offer nut-free foods so that people who are uh, allergic to nuts can, you know, read the labels on things or know if it's been made in a nut environment. And we try to keep it down as much here as possible because we want to accommodate them. And we try to have gluten-free foods here for people who are gluten intolerant. And though baking with gluten-free flour is the same as baking with anything else. So really, uh, we could do all our baking with gluten-free flour and, and oh, we could even use vegan margarine or butter substitutes and make it good for celiacs, right? Like a celiac could eat everything that we put on the table then. And it's just, it's not a matter of them having to fend for themselves. It's a matter of our having to change the story that says they're the problem. If we change the story and they're not the problem and we have options that we could use to accommodate them, we can become We can take care of them. So, And there are people in our congregation who are celiac that we assume are foraging around and making their own way and getting what it is that they need. Um, And we could actually make everything accessible to them if we just put a little more uh, work into changing our stories. So the Charlotte Erickson reading, which is about how she cares for herself. And and I, over the last 
several months, since I was on leave last year actually, I've been working on protocols to care for myself. And they're pretty, oh my gosh, I got up this morning, I wasn't finished them. It was an hour and a half before I was through the protocols, right? Honestly, an hour and a half of protocols, and those are only the morning ones, right? And I didn't get to the exercising ones and all of that. Like, it was a lot of time and energy. There's a lot of protocols. But you know what? If I don't do those protocols, I'm not well. Like, I need to stay well. And Charlotte was saying, if she doesn't do these things to keep herself well, then she falls apart and she can't manage. So she does things like put on pretty clothes and she does things like read and she does things like taking care of herself in all the different ways that she mentioned there, and that was an abbreviated reading of the list um, that you heard. She had all kinds of ways that she reached out or she uh, dug deep and found ways that she could be well in the face of anything. And that's where I'm bringing this full circle um, to the conversations that we had with Michael Dowd in June, which were devastating. Um, Michael shared with us uh, what he knows about climate science. Michael has been reading nothing but climate science every spare moment for the last decade. And he is probably as well-read as anyone on the subject. And most of us dip into it a little bit. I've been dipping into climate science since 1988 when um, the... I can't remember the name of the staff person who was at General Counsel went to that first climate uh, climate conference, which Brian mentioned last year, um, wrote my first letter to a public official in 1992 when my son was born, and it was a, he was born the year before, but the 1992 summer was a massive heat wave where I lived. Um, so we've all been toying with it and thinking about it for a long time. Um, but Michael said, it's happening. We've already flicked the switch on. And turning it off is going to be almost impossible. And we left this place kind of stunned by the power of that and the sense of helplessness. There's nothing we can do to make that different. And the question is, is that story an accurate story of where we are now and what it is that we can do? And is it a helpful story for us? Will it keep us well in the face of what's going on? Not maybe physically, but emotionally and mentally. Will it keep us well if we just sort of go, nothing, nothing I can do about that? Or, you know, what I do isn't going to make a big difference. And so I want to talk about Char- Charlotte's practices in light of that kind of devastating news that was shared um, by Michael. But for us who live in a country that is sparsely populated. And so when it comes to the actual impact we might have, it's maybe negligible. But the fact is we're one of the leading countries in the world in terms of a whole lot of things, particularly the privileges which we enjoy, which allow us to consume huge amounts more than than children born elsewhere. Um, a child born in India will use in, in their... in. The first four years of a child's life here, they will consume as much as a child born in India will consume in their entire life, right? These are the kinds of things that we need to put in in our heads, right, and shift that story. So we're going to play a game. And I want you to take your little green piece of paper and take a read of it. And I want you to identify... Uh, Self-identify by putting your hand up, and then I'll have you read what it is. 
If what's on that piece of paper is something that you currently do. Okay, Elaine, what is it? Uh, reuse food containers. Reuse food containers. Jan? Compost. Compost. Use, solar Use solar lights at night. Marilyn? Use fans to save air conditioning. Donna, did I see your hand up? She plants trees to avoid air conditioning. Or whales. You can plant whales too now. <laughs> Anna Marie? Wrap presents in reused paper, yes? Give sustainable gifts and donations to Give sustainable gifts. Um, uh, what is it? Museums, galleries, or charitable organizations, right? Anybody else? Yes, Barb? Reuse clothing. Reuse clothing. Carry cutlery with you. Carry cutlery with you. Anyone else? Yes? Plant a tree or 150 trees. Use homemade cleaning products. Steve? Well, what's the one you got? Are you doing the one you got? No, because I don't even know what it is. Okay. Okay. Turn it right side up. Good for you. Good. Ah, yes, I'm sure you did. Learn to play crokinole. That's a, that's a crokinole. Eddie, who knows how to play crokinole? Who wants to start a crokinole tournament at West Hill? I think that would be great. Crokinole, it's you use your fingers and you push those little wooden things, you click them around and try to score points. We'll teach you. The point of the, the point of the learn to play crokinole was that it allows you to have fun without any energy but the but that of the people around you, right? It's a it's a zero energy fun thing. Playing chess would count, but that one says crokinole. So, those of you who do not have a piece of paper that has something on it that says something you do now are now invited to engage in a trade system where you, tr- you work with the other people calling out what it is that you have and they will call out what they have until you find one that you currently do. So whatever Emily has, uh, she keeps looking until she finds that maybe Ingrid has it. Um, and so it's going to be chaotic for the next few minutes. I'm going to give you 10 minutes. It's going to look like the floor of the New York Stock Exchange or the way it used to look. I don't know what it looks like now. Yes, Emily? No, it's not the same thing. You want to find something that someone has that you currently do, right? So everyone needs to be calling out what they have so someone else can find them. Are you listening to the directions here? You're just so excited. You you are going to change yours, Mel, because you need to find... No. One moment. Attention to the front. Okay, Mel. Mel, what you're going to do is start yelling what you have. Not right now, when I say go. And you're going to keep yelling it until someone who actually does that is going to come and take it from you. Okay? And then you have to listen to what other people are saying so that you get one that you currently do. So we're moving around and you're calling out what you have while you're listening to what other people are calling out so that you can find something you want. And you won't probably change with the same person, right? 
Okay, way you go. I don't have one. Where are they? Okay, let's see. Okay, I have make your own gifts. Oh, I do that. I can take that now. I'll give you this. You have to find somebody who makes their own gifts. My mic is still on? Okay, I will turn it off. Thank you. Does anybody have a hand coffee grinder?
Okay. Okay, thank you. Okay, how many people now have a card or a little piece of paper that has something they actually do? Look at that. Like, look what we are already doing. Last week, Brian Kelly said, there is no silver bullet. But he said there is a lot of silver buckshot. And every single person who is doing something like this is doing a little bit of silver buckshot. How many people ended up without something that they currently do? I got a diaper. Oh, yes. <laughs> no, it does not. <laughs> John, John, John is referring to the plan for a green burial, I'm quite certain. <laughs> but you can plan ahead, right? <laughs> uh, so thank you, John. Um, and. <laughs> yes, Anne was given, uh, you grind your coffee by hand, uh, which uh, many people don't do. We have an electric coffee grinder, but you can get, I had one, but lost it in the last divorce. Yeah. Does anyone here have a hand one? Yes, one, two, three, four. Woohoo! Hand coffee grinder. No. Ah, that's right. They're available. So thank you. Um, anyone else who didn't have theirs? Deb? Yeah, we were having a conversation about this. I just got this. Uh, buy one great hand coffee and keep refilling it. And some folks are saying they are trying to do that for a graduation gift and couldn't find anywhere to do that. So we have to find They're great. You can get great refillable pens at Staples. Um, you can also do it online, but online shopping is killing lo the local economy. So um, try to find one online and refuse refuse the swag that you get. Refuse set if you get. Um, we get a lot. Someone has sold a couple of our names to mailing lists, and we get things with mitts and pens and all kinds of things in them. And we use the return envelope, put a stamp on it, and say, "Please take us off your list." So. To just cut down on the amount of swag and junk that comes into your home that you don't want, use that envelope and send it back um, with a stamp on it, so it's not costing the charity. But you don't have to put a you don't have to put a check in it. Um, anyone else who didn't couldn't find something that they do? You are all amazing. Oh, Frank, yes, 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 you may. Yes. Yes. We did have a sign on the signboard uh, some years ago that said, um, save fuel, drive the speed limit. 
but he's driving at less than that. Excellent. Yep. It was imposed. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Yep. All you have to do is touch your get, touch your brakes, and they'll stop. Right. Yes. Yes. Very wise. Excellent. So th- thank you, Frank, for Im- self-imposing that. And yeah. So that's ninety on the four. When you don't drive na- ninety on Eglinton or anything like that, right? You don't drive ninety on the streets. That's good. But driving the speed limit uh, around the city is, uh, and yeah. George? So feel free to drop, oh, just a second, feel free on your way out to drop your green paper in the basket and pick another one up. Challenge yourself to add another little routine that, you know, won't take an hour and a half, um, unless you're driving to Newfoundland at 90 kilometers an hour. Um, uh, Take something and, and find a little way, because you are doing incredible stuff. It's a big, big load. Uh, what it is that we have to shoulder. And it's a heavier load, even a greater load, for what it is that future generations are going to have to shoulder. So everything we can do, um, as Shelley, if she was here, would have said, put on your big girl panties and do it. Do whatever you possibly can to take care of yourself by telling yourself you're doing something worthwhile. And, you know, whatever the outcomes are, you are caring for yourself when you care for the planet and for future generations. Thank you. Do you want to just play a bit? Actually, don't dump them in the, in the basket. Share them with each other so people get to see what all of them are. That would be great. Thank you. That's it. You can play. Oh, a moment for reflection. <laughs> We do want a little feedback on how people enjoyed being around tables. Let us know how you felt about that. Um, I assume I know how you felt about that. <laughs> so, um, you go out into a world that 
is so in need, it could completely immobilize anyone. Uh, it could put us uh, into depression. It could uh, make us be so uh, in such self-denial of the things that we love that we can't, we can't, we can no longer thrive. But we go out in a world, into a world too that is what it is because of creativity, because of the creative challenge to find ways to live fully and richly um, across the spectrum of life. Creating life is the greatest impulse. So go from this place and create life in new ways that helps to give life to you as well as giving life to future generations. And go knowing that you do not do it alone. Go in peace. from West Hill United Church located in Scarborough, Ontario, Canada. These podcasts are made possible by the generous support of our listeners, volunteers, and members of our community. To donate, go to our website, www.westhill.net, and click on the Canada Helps button, or go to www.westhill.net forward slash donate.